Stardate, 1968. Assignment, Earth, on a mission of historical research. This is the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Hello, Star Trek fans, and uh, welcome back to Series 3 of the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, we've been away for a little while. You may have seen a couple of videos from us that we recorded uh, already, but we w- didn't want to start a new series without addressing some sad news, so apologies for that just for the first couple of minutes. Uh, we couldn't let the time pass without addressing the sad loss of three people uh, with various uh, impact in the Star Trek universe. Um, first of all, the actor Paul Sorvino, who uh, you will know from a myriad of things, and Star Trek is certainly not the the main thing on his resume, but he is uh, he is known for playing Worf's foster brother, Nikolai Rajengo, uh, in a particularly memorable Next Gen episode. So RIP to Paul Sorvino, first of all. Uh, secondly, another huge actor whose career is much bigger than Star Trek, but who certainly impacted the Star Trek world in huge ways, uh, and that is David Warner. Uh, we addressed this on our sister podcast, Silver Screen, and we've addressed all of this on social media. Um, but we were both huge fans of David's, uh, his work in films in general. Um, I know DK particularly loves the movie Tron. Um, and I, yeah, I'm a huge horror fan, as is DK. So we both love things like The Omen. There's too many films to list, but obviously you as Trek fans would probably know him as uh, Sinjin Talbot in Star Trek V, Chancellor Gorkon in Star Trek VI, or um, as Gomer Madrid in the fantastic Chain of Command, uh, parts one and two of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, and finally, um, a really deep, sad one, because uh, it feels like losing a member of the family to Trek fans. But uh, obviously, you'll know that while we were we were away, uh, we lost Nichelle Nichols, um, a.k.a. obviously Uhura from uh, the original series and beyond. Uh, it was a huge loss. And the reason, part of the reason we haven't addressed it is that we were both, I think, a bit fresh and a, a bit uh, emotional about it. So uh, we couldn't not really talk about the impact that she had. Uh, in the Star Trek universe and address that. And it is going to be a humongous loss. Um, obviously, it's not just Star Trek. It's, it's um, you know, how important she was to the progression of the representation of Black people on TV and in media uh, can't be overstated. And, and the work uh, for NASA. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, DK, did you have any particularly special memories of those three uh, people? Uh... Uh, my father is a big uh, gangster movie fan, so obviously I know Paul Savino from his work on Goodfellas and the like. Uh, David Warner, I can't put into words how much that guy meant to me. You know, he's pretty much been involved in everything that I've loved, like Doctor Who, Tron, Twin Peaks, and one of my all-time favourite movies, Time Bandits. I don't think there's there are many actors that could compare to him, and it's a sad loss. And as for Michelle, as shell shocked shell shot for at least a week after there's uh it, it it's hard to put into words and obviously there will be some people that say well these people are a celebrity you don't know them personally they're not family but to us they are family they were family yeah. and especially someone as inspirational as michelle it's just a sad loss the world is a much darker place for for their loss and Definitely, yeah it's yeah. just absolutely yeah. Yeah, it, it really did feel, um, it feel, it feels like you know these people if you interview them. We were lucky enough, both of us, I think, to have actually met David Warner. Um, so that was uh, quite an experience that was, we're glad to have said that we'd done. Uh, not so lucky with the others, but obviously in the case no. of Michelle, 
we've seen countless interviews with her and she always seemed like a fantastic subject to be interviewed and to chat about Star Trek was always open about it. And if you do get a chance, do check out any uh, interview you can find, particularly anything where she talks about uh, how she almost quit Star Trek and she was persuaded not to by none other than Martin Luther King. If you can find that interview, yeah. it's a heck if, of a story. So. If you get a chance, watch the movie Woman in Motion. It's, yes. br it's a brilliantly brilliantly shot film and it's especially now extremely moving so yeah so um yeah we we, we won't uh bog down the rest of the podcast with sadness so we'll uh hopefully pick things up when we cut to the episode proper um but yeah we couldn't not address those three people and uh, r.i.p paul david and nichelle Frequencies open, sir. Ah, hailing frequencies are open. Welcome back, uh, friends of the podcast from everywhere around the world and just general Trekkies to this, which will be the launch of our third season of the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Um, not counting all the little extras like interviews and things. And as you'll have noticed, we've had a little bit of a spruce up, a bit of a facelift. So you'll have uh, all new intros and outros on this, as well as uh, big thanks to StreamYard. We're now using better software that actually works. <laughs> yes, that is shade to our last provider, but we're saying no more about that. <laughs> so as um, as you'll have noticed on social media and stuff, we announced it uh, a while ago that this will be another series of 11 episodes, uh, and it will be themed like the second season was, but this one will all be around the theme of time travel. And as you will have noticed, if you're attentive and looking at the screen at all, <laughs> the episode that we're reviewing today, eventually, will be um, the original series episode, Assignment Earth. So, yeah, we all have a lot of thoughts on that one. And uh, I, first of all, I should have introduced everyone. Hello, I'm obviously Mike. Uh, sometimes like to be referred to as Captain Mike, but honestly, let's be honest, I'd be lucky to get past Lieutenant Junior Grade. <laughs> uh, I am joined, as always, by my regular co-host, DK. Hello there. Or DK Lincoln, as he's uh, referred to yeah. today. And uh, yeah. we are pleased to be joined once again by a returning guest from the 10 Backward podcast. Welcome, Rick Everson, to the show. Hello. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I'm probably not likely to make it past the rank of those guys in Star Trek 2 who bring the jackets into the away team when they've been back. <laughs> <laughs> I can look after jackets. That's about the extent of my responsibility on ship. <laughs> Honestly, I'd probably just be stuck back in the vineyard. <laughs> but yeah, so we are joined by Rick um, for, I think, at least the second, maybe third time on the podcast. Um, third, yeah. a, a regular, A regular returning guest. And uh, it also has to be said, the Trekker Mind Champion, who's joining Yay. us now. <laughs> uh, yeah, and congrats again for that. We will have aired that episode uh, by the time this goes out. So hopefully it's not a spoiler. Or we can just yeah, cut it, I not guess. Not envious at all. <laughs> yeah, Rick did a fantastic performance. If you haven't had a chance to watch that, and it is up on the channel, 
do go and watch because it was really fantastic and uh, yeah, yeah it was well very worthy. Mm-hmm. definitely definitely uh so um if you are new here as you may well be we are a star trek based podcast obviously which breaks down into sections uh our first section is what i call the hit or miss section which gives the podcast its name where i basically throw out uh, a random number of things uh, from anywhere within the Star Trek universe and ask my co-host and guest if they think it's a hit or a miss. We have a discussion back and forth and come up with a consensus. Uh, and as with the second season, they're not all going to be time travel themed because that would get boring and it's a lot to try to come up with. But I have made sure to have at least one or two time travel themed things in the hit or miss section to keep it on theme. Uh, afterwards, we then move on to a... A quick overview of the episode we're reviewing and then an actual review of it, just uh, as free form as you like in taking in various things like the writing, the direction, and any other thoughts we might have. We finish up with our favourite character moment and line from the episode, um, which might be news to Rick, as I didn't tell him, but (laughs) (laughs) I think we've done it like that in the past. But um, And then just a quick conclusion and a score out of five Starfleet Deltas. So... Uh, we would normally do an audience uh, interaction section as well, but I did put up a tweet a while ago asking what people's thoughts were on Assignment Earth and got no responses. So, <laughs> so if you're wondering where that is this episode, I didn't quite have a chance to cajole people into giving their opinion, so you're just going to have to be stuck with ours. <laughs> so, Go on, guys. For the next episode, at least, get joining in. Yeah, I will have to, uh, I think, push it a little bit better for the next time. But this being the first episode back, it's probably nice to ease people in with just our thoughts. And I think we're going to have a wide range anyway. So hopefully that won't uh, bore people. So, <laughs> yeah, um, without any further ado, then, if uh, if we're all ready, are we, are we prepared to jump into the hit or miss section? Yes. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, right, without any further ado, here it is, hit or miss. What about my performance? I'm not a drama. Gonna... What this is basically is the hit on this section where I'm just going to name something. I should have mentioned earlier, it would be a complete surprise to uh, to DK uh, and our guest. I haven't told anybody in advance. I don't even tell my co-host, as I mentioned, um, what these things are going to be so that it's, uh, it's as fresh and kind of nice as a response as you can get. So it's uh, hopefully not too overthought or anything like that. And it's, it's as true to the real opinions uh, in that regard. So... <laughs> With that in mind, we are going to go into our first one of this brand new series. Yep, I had to stream. Star Trek the Animated Series. Is it a hit or is it a miss? <laughs> and uh, since you're the guest, Rick, we'll go to you first. <laughs> oh, the Animated Series. Uh, so I'm going to say hit um, because it is a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it's not always maybe intentionally the fun that <laughs> it, it ends up being. But I mean, there's some, I, I, the obvious thing to say is the, um, and the name suddenly escapes me, but the um, the episode where Spock has to travel back in time uh, and interact with yes, his younger yeah. self. Yes, this year. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. We're reviewing that later in the season. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's that's that, that's a, that's an incredible episode. Yeah, I it's put that one. On yeah, yeah. I put that one up in in any in the greats of any Star Trek series. Um, then you get. The less, <laughs> the less good ones. Um, I don't know what you where... mean. I, I think things like Spock turning into a whale or the gigantic clone of Spock are just perfectly. <laughs> Lucy, I quite like. I quite like the gigantic clone of Spock, and I <laughs> well, really enjoyed the lower decks, the lower decks <laughs> reference to it with yeah, the skeletal exactly. one. Was amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. The, oh yes, the 
the one where they start using magical powers after meeting the devil and everything. <laughs> oh yeah, that one's a bit iffy. Yeah, <laughs> that is very out there. But then um, again, I mean, to be fair, the original series has probably about as many kind of iffy episodes in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it. Yeah. For me, it's it's a hit um, because it's always entertaining. Mm. That's fair enough. Uh, also, well, we can always come back for a little bit more information later. But DK, what, what about you? Animated series hit or miss? It's going to be a hit. Uh, again, like Rick says, it's it's great fun, even when it doesn't intend to be. Uh, I watched <laughs> it for the first time just a couple of years ago, actually. And uh, yeah, highly enjoyed it. And as much as it pains me that we didn't have Chekhov, we did have uh, mm. Rx and Marest. So uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I love it. And it was kind of nice that, as as you know, throwing him a bone, that Walter Koenig was able to write an episode in uh, in the series as well. Because I'd have felt bad if it was just like shoving him out completely. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, but no, I, I'm I, I'm going to be really boring for the audience then, because I also think the animated series is a hit. I remember the first time I watched it, I was very young and very much. Um, it was around the time that Gene Roddenberry, I think, had declared it non-canon, and I was very much like, "Harumph! I don't like these." magic space force fields and this holodeck and stuff because they don't make sense but now i'm just at an age where i don't really care about such things you kind of have to take a bit more of a blase attitude and the recent series kind of have for rightly or wrongly anyway um but yeah i love as as you mentioned um, i love the things they introduced so i love rx and emrez um who you know debuted and only really appeared in the animated series and there are some great stories for me Um, obviously yesteryear is the key one that I think that's almost single-handedly, I think, preventing animated series from being considered non-canon because it's so good. Uh, because naturally, it's DC Fontana writing Spock, so of course it's good. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that it's continued the uh, the original series, and like you said, even the things that aren't good, I think we can kind of laugh at with affection as Star Trek fans. You know, we're well aware there's an awful lot of like pink and fuchsia, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's what happens when you have an animator who's colorblind, supposedly. So. Yeah, that's fair enough. And uh, I like the fact that it didn't shy away from hard to touch subjects. Yeah. Like, uh, like what? Like, uh, I'm I'm not sure if you if you saw it on the center seat, very we're talking about uh, the uh, Orions or whatever it was with the suicide the suicide pact. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it was one of the ones I think that's the most memorable. But then again, th- there's also like I think just good old-fashioned Star Trek-y type adventures, which yeah. are things that you couldn't necessarily do. Like, we'll have talked about it again by this point because we, we're going to have interviewed um, the writer of the episode, which will be a surprise to Rick. Um, but mm. I love the counterclock incident because it just seems like a mm. good old Star Trek romp type adventure, but you can't really imagine these special effects even in the 70s would have no. held up to make that in live action, you know? <laughs> and I do like that they have returning characters like Mud and Serrano Jones. Yes! Yeah. Well, yeah, the trip the Tribbles have a third episode, which is also good. Um, the first episode I think I ever saw because it was like a special feature on the Trouble with Tribbles DVD or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, fair enough. Any other thoughts then, uh, Rick, on uh, on this before we move on? Um, well, I mean, there's it, it gives us some concepts which I always wish had been followed up. Like um, the Enterprise has an inflatable decoy version of itself. <laughs> Why have we never seen that again? <laughs> I really do love as well the episodes where like the ship, um, is it the Practical Joker where the ship develops like its yes. own kind of sense of having to make fun of the crew and the all-time great Kirk is a jerk <laughs> on the back <laughs> of his shirt. 
we are so lucky that computer didn't get the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Oh, awesome. Fair enough. I think we as I say, when it's good, it's great. When it's not, it's always fun. So I think uh, yeah. probably the three of us declare it a hit. So uh, yeah. awesome. I'll move that off the screen and we'll move on. It comes up. Lieutenant Linus from Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> Is he a hit or a miss? And uh, Rick will come to you again first, why not? <laughs> oh, definite hit. Absolutely hit. Um, he, he, he appears to have dated Mira Giorgio. So, you know, and survived. So, you know, meet the... I don't remember they, that at all. <laughs> no. They can't... It, it's not explicitly stated, but there's like it's hinted at two or three times, I think, in the course of season three of Discovery, that they have a little bit of a thing going on. Right. Um, okay. And I absolutely love the idea that um, Linus, who was a bit the you know the kind of comedy relief guy, you know, his first mm. appearance, he sneezed on on an annoying <laughs> science officer, you know. Um, yeah. So you kind of say, oh, and um, I think later on he's the guy who can't master his new. Tricom badge and keeps yeah, I was beaming just into say, the middle of, of places. Favorite, uh, that's one of my <laughs> favorite moments. That's why I picked this particular picture because I just there's something about the fact that it's maybe because it's in the middle of a sort of deep dramatic moment. Maybe it's um, the delivery that David Benjamin Tomlinson does, but there's something that I find hilarious about him just zapping in with the new <laughs> transporter badge and just saying, "This is not the science lab." <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> I got flustered. Which is like that is that is great comedy from a, a show that sometimes needs a little bit of um, brevity, you know. So, yeah, sorry to and interrupt you. <laughs> No, no. It's, I mean, it's, it's a great point because yeah, I always thought when they got those fancy new comrades and everyone's tapping it and beaming, I'm like, you do one tap and it knows where to take it. So I'm glad we see someone who's like really struggling to work it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, anything else? <laughs> well, I mean, generally, you know, the design looks awesome. I think it, it's, and uh, he's just really, it, it, it's played very well. I just really enjoy him. He's got quite nice mannerisms in the way he, he carries himself and acts. So as you say, he's quite comedic in a show that does sort of have a lot of heavy drama. So mm. he's, he's a yeah. good relief for that. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, cool. So that's one hit. Um, DK, what about you? What do you think of Linus? Uh, it's going to have to be another hit. Awesome. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a really, a really great character. I'd love to see more of him. I mean, not in a mirror Georgia kind of way, but yeah. <laughs> It's. I mean, the brevity helps his character. It, uh, you know, it does drop a, a nice smile in the middle of, of too much drama from time to time. But yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to spend a little more time with him during an episode. Yeah, I, yeah, a, a kind of lower decks type episode exploring some of the Discovery crew is is uh, long overdue, and Linus would definitely be mm -hmm. one of those. Um, oh, for I sure. Think, and, uh, I think I've kind of shown my hand already, but yes, I agree with the both of you once again that Linus is a hit because, as I say, I think he's played really well. There's something nice about having a species like the Saurians that um, we haven't seen that much of. I like they were in the background in the motion picture and stuff, but they really, I, I like the way the Discovery writers kind of play with how alien it is. And um, But instead of making it like a weird thing or whatever, they play it for the right kind of like respectful laughs. Like I remember yeah. the episode when, um, I can't remember why, there's a little kid on the ship, but Burnham is looking after a little kid and she's like, oh, let me introduce you to a, a friend of mine. And 
Ooh, I'll let you peel his face because he happens to be molting or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, fair enough. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Whether or not uh, Linus is quite into that or not is a, a different <laughs> question. But uh, yeah, I like the the kind of idea. And like you said, this whole sneezing on the kind of um, pompous security guy and things like that. And uh, yeah, I think we all we all like a little uh, underdog and stuff as well. And there's something nice about just seeing. Like I said, a character on Discovery in particular who doesn't really seem to have any baggage or anything and just likes being in Starfleet and being around. So, nice. Awesome. Time ship Aeon. Is it a hit or a miss? Uh, and Rick, we'll go to you first. Uh, the Aeon. I mean, I love Future's End. I think it's fantastic. Um, fun, awesome episode. Great with uh, thing with the time travel. Um I mean, it always seemed a little bit weird that um, this guy was basically in a little time shuttle, uh, especially yeah. when you have um, the when we see Braxton again in a later episode. He's got um, the massive great ship, loads of people doing all sorts of cool <laughs> stuff. Um, but then, on the other hand, you know, it was pretty cool because the whole the you know the story hinged upon that. And actually, if he'd had a larger ship, it wouldn't really have worked. You couldn't have imagined. Um, Ed Begley Jr. managing to cannibalize that into and create the computer age um, yeah. without anyone noticing. So, yeah. So, yeah, it would. I mean, it's, it's, I say, if I have a criticism, it's kind of, it's, it's maybe not the most inspiring design. It's kind of fairly basic shuttle looking, but then, you know, kind of, they're, they're limited. It had, we had to believably fit into the top of a skyscraper. So, um, yeah, it's good to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say a hit because obviously, you know, we uh, if that hadn't triggered off the computer age, we might not even be able to record this uh, this conversation. So yeah, got to be grateful and to it. There's been previous series where we almost weren't able to, but uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe we should have had a ship from even further in the future to get us some working tech. But never mind. <laughs> DK, what about you? Uh, yeah, it's it's okay. I mean, it's future's end. I've got kind of a love hate situation with that storyline. But uh, Aeon's not one of the things that Didn't I have a that. problem with. And, uh, yeah, I like it. Not overly keen on the design, but as Rick said, it uh, you know it has to be small enough to fit inside a skyscraper. So, yeah, I'm going to go with a tentative hit. Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, I I, um, I think I'm way more on board than either one of you. I really love the timeship Aeon. Oh. So the timeship Aeon is one of those things that, like, I've mentioned before that there's ships that just capture my imagination. Like, I think I said that about the Merchantman from Star Trek Three. And I remember when I first saw Future's End, uh, not talking about the story, DK, <laughs> but when I first saw it, I was kind of captivated by how different this was because I don't think it is that generic for Starfleet. Like, it looks completely different. And I loved the idea that the Starfleet of the future because their time travelers might have developed these smaller sort of one or two person ships and my imagination kind of went all over the place i love that it's kind of black and stealth looking i love that you can kind of at least i can kind of extrapolate that these two pink circles on either side or maybe the temporal warp drive or something um and i <laughs> yes i am nerdy enough to have tried to work out like the exact specifics of how it works and um I did write when I was um, a little bit younger. I did write my own idea for a Star Trek pilot that would have been time travel based, that basically used this as the framework for my hero ship because I love the fact that it was kind of triangular and black. So my uh, my ship was like this, but a lot larger and more starship looking. 
Um, but I still loved like the black, the fins, and the whole design. And yeah, so I just love it. And as as you said, story wise, it helped us to be able to talk to each other. So that's <laughs> yeah. uh, that's cool. But I I have to say, so it was, even though it's like a hit from all of us, it's it's more tentative from um, from you two. Uh, but I have to get into it, DK. What are your issues with Future's End? I'm so curious. Oh, no, it's, I, I like with Deep Space Nine when uh, Voyager first started. I wasn't overly enthralled with it, so I kind of left ah. it alone for a while. When oh, I yeah. did come back, it was with uh, I, uh, just happenstance. It happened to be Future's End, and I was never a big fan of Ed Begley Jr. back then for some strange reason. And wow. uh, yeah, I mean, that's understandable. <laughs> yeah. And to Ed Begley, together with uh, present setting, I, it just felt very cheap. And no, it just it just wasn't for me back then. I've, I've since gone back and watched it, and I've gained a new appreciation for it. But uh, mm. it took me a while to come around to the story itself. What's wrong with a present-day setting? We're dealing with a time travel series. It's going to be weird to think that you don't like that. Uh, I don't know. It was, there was just there was just something about it. It just and some you know and and the uh, oh, I for, I've forgotten the name. Rain Robinson, Sarah Silverman. Yes, uh, Sarah Silverman's character. I, could, I I just could never get on get on oh, board with it. It felt, it felt like it felt like a cheaper, less funny version of Star Trek Four to me. And I, I kind of held it against it for a while. Okay, I can I can see the point definitely. Okay, well uh, that's probably a discussion for another time, maybe. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, anyway, the time shift Eon we've decided is a hit, so I'm going to move on to the fourth of the hit on this section, which is an episode. I have a reason for picking this, and it's not because it's time travel related this time. Uh, the episode in question is the Enterprise episode, Dear Doctor. Uh, and yeah, the reason I mentioned this is because I watched it for the first time in a long time the other day, uh, as I've been working my way through season one of Enterprise on Blu-ray, because it was just one of the last series that I uh, picked up finally, like a few months ago. No particular reason. I don't have anything against it. It's just, just one of those things when you do, when you're a collector, eventually there's going to be one that's the last one you get. And that was it. So uh, I have thoughts that I'll get to, but Rick, what about you? Do you uh, think the episode Dear Doctor is a hit or a miss? Uh, I think this is a hit. Uh, I thought it was a really nicely done episode. Um, so, yeah, I, I quite like the um, the whole narrative thing about him writing a letter to his colleague, yeah. which came off really nicely. Uh, uh, just, I just make sure I'm thinking of the right episode. I was just going to say because I know sometimes it's like it, it's difficult because I I know I've watched this, but that doesn't mean anyone else has. So yeah, this is the one where basically um, he's writing the letter to his doctor colleague. He thinks that Crewman Cutler has a thing for him. She seems to be hitting on him, mm. and the primary kind of I guess crux of the story is this species who have a virus that Enterprise has been tasked to cure but they also have like a, an underclass or a slave class on the planet who won't yeah. get a chance to evolve if they do cure the virus. So it becomes a question of do we interfere or don't we? And there's no prime directive to help guide them in this particular instance either. So, um, yeah, an interesting one for sure. So does that help jog your memory, Rick? Yes, that is, I, just, I just wanted to double check. That is what I was, the one I was thinking it was. So, right. um, yes, yeah, because I, I just thought there's a really interesting dilemma and, uh, for them to have to sort of wrestle with. Um, yeah. Between 
particularly between flocks and archer uh if, if, to be fair my only downside of that is i just thought it was a little bit forced and on the nose when archer says oh maybe one day we'll have some sort of directive that will tell us how to deal with these things <laughs> i but, remember yeah, we the, get yeah, we get where you go in <laughs> Exactly. That was the overriding memory I had because I remember reading a review at the time, which I don't don't I didn't remember that vividly anything about it until my recent rewatch. But I remembered reading a review that was like, um, oh, one day we will have a directive that is prime. That's very on the nose. And I was like, yeah, because that's not the line, first of all. But well, secondly, yeah. yes, it was still on the nose. You know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And I really I, I also enjoy the Cutler storyline on that as well, because I, I just I just really enjoyed um cream and cutler thought she was she was yeah. absolutely lovely so. r.i.p to uh kelly that we yeah. might think the actress who mm. way too soon she left us but uh, yeah was that was that. really sad yeah she was great i loved her a lot in her first episode when they were on that planet and um getting increasingly paranoid thinking there are creatures coming out of the walls mm. of them and stuff i love that one um but anyway yeah dk what about you dear doctor I've hopefully uh, jogged your memory if you haven't seen it recently. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. Narratively, it's a nice little sidestep. Takes something, uh, takes something, and twists it, and I really enjoyed it. Obviously, you know, it lays the groundwork for the prime directive. Even like Rick says, if it's a bit too on the nose towards the end, but uh, an interesting dilemma which I don't think we'd seen in in Trek for, uh, you know, a little while, uh, and puts yeah. two of the crew members kind of at odds with each other. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. And as you both mentioned, Crewman Cutler, she was she was fantastic. I would have loved to have seen more of her in the season, but uh, in the series. Yeah. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Yeah. Sad, very, um, very well. Um, I'm I'm going to be the first one to introduce some negativity this series, then, because I'm going to have to call this episode a miss, which is why I kind of put it in to discuss this kind of central thing. There's a couple of reasons why. Um, the kind of uh, lesser reason why is just because I don't, I still don't like how vague the Crewman Cutler stuff is because it doesn't give you an answer. And I'm not really a fan of that kind of narrative. It would be different if it w was answered later or something. And I don't know if that was the plan, but I kind of hate that it's, it's, it does that wishy washy kind of, no, I just want to be your friend, Doctor. Oh, and we'll just take it from there, kiss. And I'm like, well, so which is it? <laughs> I'm really annoyed at this ambiguity, damn it. And I'm not in that situation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was one thing that slightly bugged me. But the most thing I think was watching it this time around, I was struck by kind of how callous and kind of, to me, wrong the decision that they ultimately make was. That they were just like, yeah, we're just going to let all these people suffer and die because it'll give the... Um, I guess genetic advantage or whatever to the underclass and they wouldn't necessarily have had that chance. And I'm like, but you're still on a human level. I'm still kind of with Archer from the start of the episode that like those people are still suffering and dying and you have a cure that you're like withholding. So that's kind of like genocide by omission to me, you know, <laughs> without wanting to get too extreme, I guess. Like I can see the arguments against it, which is, you know, maybe this was always intended as evolution and whatever, but I still don't, I still can't justify it in my own head. And like I said, I think it was something that just went over my head the first time I watched because I was probably not focused or was too young to really realize the ramifications or whatever. But I was like, this just maybe, or maybe it's just because we've been through <laughs> a virus for like two, two three years yeah. now. And I'm like, mm. I really don't want to think that somebody had a cure and was just like, no, no, this could just be your genetic path or whatever. So I was like, nah, I'm not all fair with the heroes being like, yeah, keep the cure. Let's, let's just let them die so the other people have a chance. I'm like, ooh. It seemed very clunky, clunkily written and not very heroic to me. Um, 
but yeah, that could just be me. So did you? Did either of you have any rebuttal to my argument? In that that, that's the kind of thing that I wanted to see in Enterprise, and I don't. You know, we're going through the early years of the, what would be the Federation, and I, uh, mm. I wanted to see more of this kind of thing. They stumble and they're trying to find their way, and yeah, they might make the wrong decisions. But it, but again, it's going back to the Tuvix problem. Who was mm. right? Yeah, um, I guess. I mean. I don't know why I'm more kind of on board with the Tuvix thing. I just am. Um, but I see where you're coming from. It isn't, I guess, all that different than that. But, yeah, I mean, it is to me because Tuvix was one person and we're talking about, like I said, a planet full of people. But even the episode seems to go or to want to go out of its way to be like, we're giving you things to relieve the pain, at least. We're doing what we can. And uh, I was like, maybe somebody should tell these guys that you just have a cure and you're deciding not to give it to them because that's kind of... You know, nasty, basically. But yeah. Anyway, um, what what was uh, was your thoughts, Rick? Am I being a bit unreasonable toward Fox? <laughs> uh, well, no. I mean, this is the this is Star Trek's problem. I think with the Prime Directive is it's a great idea in theory, but there's yeah. a there's points when you try and put it into practice, uh, and it can come off quite badly for the the supposed heroes. And yeah. I'm thinking particularly of um, that season seven TNG where Worf's brother has been observing a, um, a, a society and their planet's doomed, and he then sneaks them onto the holodeck. Yeah. And uh, yeah. basically all, all, all the next-gen crew are really like, oh, we should have just let these guys die on their planet. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you guys are coming across as jerks here. You know? And yeah. it, it's, it's difficult because, yeah, by the yeah. letter of their law, you can, you, there are going to be situations where you're going to be completely you know it's gonna it's gonna look bad on you um um and uh, you know as i say you can see the arguments for it so so it's 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 a bit of a tricky one i mean i keep thinking of like how how kelpian society is turned upside down uh, and they're yeah they give that's a two species planet and suddenly you know we're, we're we're in that case the say pike's decision to put a trigger the whole Kelpian races, Bahari, uh, uh-huh. and it's kind of the opposite way that in that case he's, yeah. he's going on a different decision. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be a tricky one. So um, I completely yeah. see where you're coming from on that one. Like, while I do love the episode, yeah, it yeah. is one of those cases where they can look completely awful for advocating, you know, letting us, letting us, a species die out and it's being genocide. Yeah, and maybe part of that is the writing, because I think if they'd made it a little bit clearer that there was some kind of greater threat to the underclass, I guess. Not that I'm saying that, you know, the fact that they were kept under two or whatever isn't bad enough. But if they'd said something like, the, you know, it was a choice between letting one species die or the other. And in that situation, you know, it's the trolley problem. It's just like, well, the best thing we can do is just not interfere. And then mm. we're not responsible yeah. either way. But as far as I could tell, there wasn't that many kind of ill effects for the underclass of the, the people and they could easily have you know done more politically or socially to get them to a more equal footing without having to just kill all of one species off um but again that's that's just my own issue but i will say that as much as i think the episode is a miss i do appreciate that at least it gets you talking um yeah. which i think some of the best stuff does so at least it gets us thinking about these things which <laughs> i guess i have to commend it for that despite myself a bit hypocritically but uh 
yeah, fair enough. Um, so two hits and a miss means it still would come out as a hit anyway. So, um, the fifth thing that I have on the list for today is another ship. And it's a ship that I've been dying to put on the hit or miss section. Uh, one or two in the last series, but it would have been a spoiler. But by now, everybody's had a chance to see it. So it is the USS Dauntless NCC-80816, I believe is the registry. Yeah, um, the version from the end of Star Trek Prodigy, which is an actual Starfleet ship. <laughs> is everybody aware of what I mean, first of all? Mm, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, good, good, good. I know we don't see much of it, but I just wanted some sort of quick opinions, and Rick will start with you on that one. Uh, okay, so... It, when it's going, so in the episode where that is at the end of Prodigy, that was like that was a big moment. It was a bit like, yeah. whoa! Uh, for me, that was a bigger moment because it was real Janeway. Yeah. It was it was interesting to see that she was on what well, yeah the Dauntless because obviously you're familiar with the Dauntless as the as you see it, the 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 booby trap ship from um, Hope and Fear in Voyager, yeah. but of course. It makes sense in, in so you're guessing. So if the protostar is experimenting with the protostar uh, drive, they're obviously still trying to get quantum slipstream working, and they've essentially recreated the Dauntless to do that. That is my assumption on how we're working that. Yeah, it's um, definitely some kind of um, some kind of I guess FT FTL faster than faster than light drive that they're yeah. kind of working with because yeah. uh, they specifically say it's designed to try to find the protostar and find Chakotay. So it's definitely some kind of test bed. But um, I'm just not a massive fan of that particular design, really. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm afraid um, it's just you know it, it. It I like the idea of the quantum slipstream. That's great. I liked Janeway reappeared, uh, but and you know I'm, I'm veering non-canon. Uh, a lot of the follow-on novels had quantum slipstream being tested and developed and utilised, and the. Um, on another class of ship, which I much rather would have seen. Um, oh, I don't we, know that. Which, we, which, uh, which one is we that? We see Esri Dax has, uh, is captain oh. of the uh, USS Aventine. Aventine. Okay. And I'm very attached to that that uh, class of ship. So, um, I agree with but you. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. design. It is. It's, they look amazing. Um, so, yeah. I, well, yeah. You don't... Yeah, the what's on the screen is its own thing absolutely uh, so you don't it shouldn't always be beholden to the books they did use the book titan design over in lower decks so it would have been an awesome touch to have seen the aventine rather than reusing the dauntless design which as i say i've just just not a design that particularly jumps out for me so i'm gonna i'm gonna say miss okay fair enough and uh, dk you've kind of um, started to, to give us your thoughts but what about you what did you think uh I liked it when it appeared in Hope and Fear. Okay. I wasn't that impressed with how it looked at the end of Prodigy. Uh, have have they changed the design at all? It, oh, yeah, it, significantly it, in a couple of places, definitely. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I'm not very keen on the design on the new. I mean, we, we've only really seen it in, in passing. I, I presume we're going to see a lot more of it in the next season. Yeah, but... and I will be honest, the, the uh, picture that's on screen now is the only kind of angle of the full ship that you get, and it's, as far as I can tell, it's just an ugly angle, unfortunately. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. It's not uh, It's not very endearing to me as it stands. I mean, next season, 
when it comes out of warp, it could look the bee's knees. But as it stands from the uh, the imagery, imagery that we've seen so far, I'm not a big fan of it. Like Rick, give me the Aventine any day of the week. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so you're both going to say miss, I think, for that one up to now yeah. then, uh, which is going to make it a miss overall. But just to give my opinion, I think it's personally a hit. I was excited to see it. And um, unlike Rick, I like the design of the original Dauntless, but I was always, because as I pointed out, sometimes I'm kind of like a continuity snob like this. So I was like, I like the Dauntless, but it's not a Federation ship. So like when I was collecting the Eagle Moss models, for example, um, I tried not to get any alien ships or anything. So I always forbade myself from getting the Dauntless because <laughs> it didn't count <laughs> until this appeared on screen. And I was like, right, I'm ordering it. I'm going to do it because <laughs> there's a version that's close enough that's definitely a Federation <laughs> Starfleet ship. So it gave me an excuse to do that. But I like the way that it looks kind of dart-like and it's nonsensical in space, obviously, for to have anything that looks aerodynamic, but it's still cool and it still triggers something in our brains, I think, of like, this is fast because it's got a point, you know? So, but uh, yeah, and I like the changes. I like the kind of, I know some people really hate this bit at the back of the saucer because it's now, instead of like tapering nicely down, it's what looks like it's, I don't know, a shuttle bay or, or some kind of component dug in there. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit clunky the way the drive section rises up a bit to meet it. But I can forgive it. And uh, like I said, I think from other angles, it's going to look nicer. But uh, I was just super excited to see this ship again. And I hope it does. And I will say on another level, I hugely appreciated the animator's attention to detail in recreating the interiors. Like the fact that the bridge looks exactly like Art Arcturus's version. Mm. It doesn't make a lot of sense in story why they would do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was still a nice touch for uh, from a Trekkie perspective, you know. So uh, I, I think I, I like it anyway. So fair enough um just a couple more then hopefully we're not going to take too long uh the next is the second time travel related one uh for this <clears throat> excuse me for this new uh third time travel series uh it's an episode that's time travel based and it is going to be gift space nine episode uh times orphan and Again, if you need a, a quick reminder, it's a pretty easy one to sum up. Molly O'Brien falls through a time portal and comes back. Instead of being a kid, she's 18 years old, and the O'Briens have to decide how to deal with this. DK, oh. maybe we'll come to you first. Uh, okay, I, this is an odd one for me. Uh, I don't quite know where to place this. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Miss, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, it's... It has a nice little concept. Uh, okay. The whole Molly cartwheeling into a different time. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's kids, isn't it? I mean, that, yeah. don't, don't focus on that part. No, but I, 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 I think it's at, well, Rick's looking after some kids. We discussed this episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those... Alexander situations, it feels very much like, yeah, they had a kid, they didn't know what to do with it, and they gave it like an out in the best way possible. It, it just, it's interesting, but interesting doesn't necessarily mean... I feel like you're misremembering the end of the episode, potentially. I, I, I honestly can't. You'll have to run me through it. See, um, without wanting to give... Okay, so spoilers, I'll, I'll say now, and just maybe skip ahead a couple of minutes. So the episode ends with adult Molly basically deciding to sacrifice her existence because they find a way that if she goes back through the time portal, yeah. 
she can find her younger self and send her back through and then she won't have existed. So she basically fades into non-existence and the O'Briens get their little girl back. Little which, girl back, yeah. Yeah, I, re yeah. I recall it now. But again, it's it just feel it feels very much like a filler episode to me. And it feels very much like the old Alexander episodes where they're not quite sure what to do with the child. We need to come up with some, you know, excuse to put O'Brien's family in. It's okay. I but when you put it alongside something like the visitor, it doesn't hold a candle to it. So it's going to have to be very few things do, but <laughs> doesn't hold a ghost candle with a Scottish sex ghost in it. But, uh, anyway, that's a different story. Literally uh, Rick, you're back with us. What do you think of the episode times often? Okay, um, I think it's in the wrong place in Deep Space Nine. It should be, it would have been maybe a lot, it might have been better in the first or second season, right. if yeah. I'm honest. Uh, interestingly, actually, when you say about uh, feeling like an Alexander episode, I, I think, if I recall correctly, this, these, this story idea had been floating around the Star Trek offices for some time and had initially been developed as a way to get rid of alexander or age him up to an adult and yep, i think that's what it says on memory alpha <laughs> yeah and the reason they didn't do it is because was it something like michael pillar's mum or wife or something her favorite character was alexander so um yeah uh and i think it could have been a great o'brien must suffer episode which you know were were fantastic it didn't really hit the mark um for me, the idea of this of, of this child completely losing their childhood was absolutely horrible. The parents missing out on their child's childhood is is really really horrible. Um, and yeah, it was in that it was at a point at the end of season six of Deep Space Nine where we're so into all the different arcs, it was just unrelated. It added nothing to any of that, um, and wasn't a good enough episode to get away with that. It, right. when you when you have something like the visitor which is such an incredible episode such a moving story and so well done it doesn't matter that it's completely unrelated to any of the ongoing arcs but mm. at this point you know it's just like well i didn't enjoy that i found you know for me i found the the general concepts to be pretty abhorrent um it didn't land and i feel that we just wasted an hour we could have developed something in one of the arcs we could have had some, something good with the profits or with Kai Win or something like that. Um, instead, we didn't. So, a miss for me, unfortunately. Okay. Um, in an interesting twist, I'm going to be the lone positive voice on this one um, <laughs> because I love this episode. I think it's a huge hit. Um, I think you're just going to be contrary now, aren't you? No, not at all. Counter to what you were saying, I like the fact that it is just a science fiction story that could be from any series because I think at this point in DS9, that's what... It, it felt like a blessed relief precisely because everything was like one episode leads directly into the next, into the next, and you've got to be keeping up with this long thing. And I was like, I appreciated that it was an actual, to me, thought-provoking science fiction story, um, which I think was played really well personally. Um, I didn't know until just now, just looking on Memory Alpha and hearing from you about the whole, it was written for Alexander, um, <laughs> but he was Michael Pillar's mum's favourite character kind of thing. Um, but having said that, th th there's no sense of that for me. And uh, I, I like that it is thought provoking. It does ask those questions of like, what would it have been like? I'm not a parent. So fair enough. I can't really say that that's 
uh, not something I would find horrible, and it is a worst-case scenario, but I, I like that the episode kind of seems to tackle that. Um, and ultimately comes down to, like, I think I, I, I should and would have hated the kind of everything's fine again by the end resolution, because I often did in episodic TV, but I love that it basically boils down to that being Molly's decision, because she sees the effect it has on her parents, and she kind of chooses them over her life, I suppose, at the end. Um, primarily, I think, because Michelle Krusiek uh, just gave a heck of a performance as the adult Molly, um, the kind of more feral version. But yeah, I think I, I like it a lot and I'm going to say hit, but I won't carry on any longer because <laughs> we're taking a bit long. And uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm on my own. I'm out on an island with that one, but that's <laughs> fine. So. <laughs> uh, so the seventh and final thing for today is going to be one more character. Uh, and it's a newer character, and it's the character of Lieutenant Erica Ortegas. Hit or miss? <laughs> Rick, we'll start with you. <laughs> hit. In fact, is is there a stronger, more positive term than hit? <laughs> I love Ortegas. <laughs> yeah, she's fantastic. Um, I just really enjoy it. All the moments at her, her lines are brilliant. Her whole characterization is awesome. She's just I can't say enough awesome things about her and and the um and the actress uh Melissa Navia is, is so so good as well she's uh her, she's really active on Twitter interacting with fans and stuff and is really really awesome so yeah but yeah I can't I can't say enough good things about Ortegas I know apart from she's not getting enough screen time I'd, I'd love to see a really heavy Ortegas yeah. episode in season two <laughs> I think 10 episodes for me for Strange New Worlds wasn't nearly enough because precisely there's so much cool stuff you could dive into. And certainly yeah. Ortegas is one of those things. The fact that she didn't get like a focus episode and yet she's one of the only characters that doesn't appear somewhere else in the franchise. Um, but yeah. So DK, what about you? I already know the answer because I from talking to you, but what the heck? We may as well get yeah, it on record. Definitely. Hit plus. <laughs> she's just fantastic. Every time she's on screen, she makes me smile. She Her lines are fantastic. But it, it doesn't demean her capability. She's one of the best people on that bridge. And I just love her to bits. And as Rick says, Melissa Navia, she's very active on Twitter. She's always, you know, responsive to fans. She's retweeted me once, so I had a bit of a squee moment when she did that. <laughs> it's, I, I just think she's a wonderful person. And you know yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get her on here. But uh, yeah. but yeah, this, this might it. have secretly been a ploy to be able to tag her in a, a post oh. about like, was it was it a hit? Is she a hit or a miss? You have three huge fans here, Melissa. Would you like to go <laughs> and talk to you? you know? But... See, and now imagine you just sat there in a leather chair stroking a white cat. That's how cool. <laughs> <you're laughs> <talking to> <laughs> she is my favorite character from Strange New Worlds, without a doubt. Wow, that's that's big. Considering yeah. how many Trek central characters they are, there are. Sorry, that's that's huge. Um, awesome. No, she's a massive hit. Of course, she is. Um, the actress is great. Obviously, very good at interacting. Um, you know, she, she's dealing with grief at the moment and seems to be doing yeah. it in a way that's really profound and really kind of admirable and inspirational in a weird way. Um, but that's you know not that's divorced from the character. The character I just love because I always kind of love characters that are just like. I'm flying a starship. This is yeah. fun, which I think is 90% of the pilots on in this franchise. So um, I think she fits well in the lineage of like Tom Paris or even Detmer over on Discovery quite often. Um, I love that the, the actress and character both take no 
Duff, shall we say, from anybody. Yeah. Um, they, they're no nonsense in that way. They're very comfortable in their own skin. They love uh, doing what they do. They are happy to be Starfleet officers. And they're just funny, like you said, just charming and funny. And, uh, yeah, very, uh, very happy to exist and be on that ship, which you would be. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> Uh, three pretty massive hits, I would say, um, for Ortegas and uh, and for Melissa as well. So, um, with that in mind, then we've we've moved on from there. So that will conclude the hit or miss section. At least we got to end on a positive. That's good. Uh, <clears throat> so we will move without any further ado into the main review, uh, and hopefully not take too long. <laughs> um, but yeah, the main review, as I mentioned, is going to be the original series episode, Assignment Earth. Um, just to give you some very quick background behind the episode, uh, if you haven't seen it, well, you probably shouldn't be listening to this, but just in case, um, it is. it was originally intended as a pilot for a spin-off series from Star Trek, um, though originally it was written as a pilot which had no Star Trek connection. Um, there is a line in it um, about... about um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but all of the various events and things that are going to happen at that time. Um, just to give you the the background, the Enterprise travels back to 1969, conveniently. Uh, no, 68, sorry. Conveniently, because that's when it aired. So, of course, they do. Um, to what what is going to be a pivotal day in history. Um, the episode aired on the 29th of March, 68. Six days later, um, there was indeed an important assassination, something that Spock said. Mm. Uh, that was Martin Luther King Jr., but the coincidence goes further because Spock says that the same day the U.S. was launching an orbital nuclear warhead platform and the King assassination was the same day as the launch of the unmanned Apollo 6 Saturn V rocket. Uh, the same rocket also suffered a serious mishap and went off course. The details differ greatly in detail, obviously, from what happens in Assignment Earth. But Kirk does comment at the end of the episode that the real events are never generally revealed in quotes. So. <laughs> We can we can kind of you know work that into Star Trek's fictional history as being a cover up or a lie, <laughs> so yeah that kind of works. And um, chronologically, the closest candidate to Spock's other prediction about a government coup in Asia in Asia sorry wouldn't be until July the seventeenth, uh, but would be the important military coup that brought Saddam Hussein to power. So yeah, <laughs> it turns out he was right about it being a fairly key time in uh, Earth history. So, yeah, that's basically where the episode begins, is that the Enterprise has been tasked with travelling to this date uh, to see how humanity survived this pivotal but very, um, you know, tumultuous time. Uh, and on the way, they basically bump into uh, a second Gene Roddenberry series that has nothing to do with them. So <laughs> <laughs> it's about the nicest and quickest way I can put it. You know, there's a time traveller. He's from an alien planet. He's a super advanced human. He has a computer. He has a cat, which is also a woman because... Sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they basically find out the Enterprise and this guy that their mission uh, that he has is to try to uh, basically sabotage the launch of what would be a, a, the nuclear weapons uh, missile that was to be fired to dissuade the US from having a nuclear arsenal, which would have ultimately lead to a potential nuclear war. Which, of course, we know happens in the Star Trek franchise anyway, but mm. never mind. <laughs> so, um, before I get into sort of my notes and everything, do you have any very quick thoughts on this episode just overall, without too many spoilers and stuff, that you think, uh, just things you think about it, Rick? Uh, I actually do quite enjoy this episode. Um, as a general thing, I think it would be, I, I kind of wish the Assignment Earth series had gone ahead, because I've been really interested to see it. Um, I, I enjoy the pairing of Roberta Lincoln and Gary Seven. I would like to have seen that 
how that worked out in the, across the full series. Um, where, yeah, and where it falls down for me is I think we kind of lose the Star Trek part of it quite large chunks of the episode. I was just going to say I agree. I think when I read the original pilot was had no Star Trek connection, I was like, yeah, I believe you. Because mm. it seems incredibly shoehorned in there. So, yeah. And uh, what are your sort of quick thoughts about the episode then, DK? Uh, I'm fairly middle of the road on this one. Although, as I said to you off air earlier, this uh, rewatch, I actually found myself enjoying it quite a lot more than I did previously. Uh, yeah, it's not perfect. I don't love it. I don't hate it. But I was pleasantly entertained by it this time as you you know as we know it's not really what you would call a star trek episode uh uh going back to rick's point i'm, I'm i don't know if rick knows they did do a sequel comic book series uh oh i'm sure he knows yeah <laughs> idw i think it was We've there's a reason there. rick's on this episode yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh, it, it's it's a passable episode. It's entertaining mm. and it gives you a decent hour's TV, regardless of its its flaws. And yeah, that's that's all I have to say on that. I'm afraid I have to take strong issue with the line, it gives you a decent hour of TV. <laughs> <laughs> Beg to differ on that one, but there we go. Well, so. you know, it, it's not the alternative <laughs> factor. I'm fine with it. I think I'd rather watch the alternative factor to be honest oh, yes, at times. Um, yeah, in case you haven't guessed, audience, it's probably not a spoiler to say that one of us loves the episode, one of us detests the episode, and one of us is more in the middle. So it's an interesting <laughs> range of ideas. Um, so hopefully we can all back up our points uh, about why and, and everything as we go and uh, maybe have a little discussion back and forth. And stay friends. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say, DK, sir? I was going to say, like I said earlier, my, uh, Rick would be Gary Seven in this scenario. You would be Kirk, and I'm just sat there like Roberta, wondering what the <laughs> hell's going on. <laughs> Hence the little profile pic you've got yeah. up there. Just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think was probably me the first time I watched this episode. Like, what series am I watching? What the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just to clarify, then, it's a quite a free-form talk that we'll be going into to kind of review the episode. Um, I have it broken down into the kind of sections that we tend to do on our sister podcast, Silver Screen. So I've got it as, like, writing, acting, direction, music and sound, and then just miscellaneous facts. Um, but we don't have to stick to that. It's just a, a way of me sort of broadly organizing my notes. And I'm aware that I've been talking for way too long. So I'm going to throw it over to you, DK, and say, um, did you want to start talking through your notes? And uh, we can maybe bounce off those. And uh, what would you like to start us with? Yeah, I've got uh, I've originally got the status. 1968, how, did, how they made it through the Troubles. And I was just thinking, oh, boy, have you got a long way to go with regards to <laughs> Yeah, why uh, did you go to 68? 2021 yeah, is where you should have went. It's just... <laughs> Problems could fill an entire data bank. I mean, my yeah. God, you've got some mm. some serious crap coming your way. Uh, I've, I've then got one. There's one heck of a powerful transporter beam there. Uh, yeah, I, 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 that's one reason well enough to hate this episode. That might well be where J.J. Abrams got that stupid idea from. <laughs> yeah, and it's also, you know, we've popped back in time to check this. Like it's popping to Tesco's. That was my other note. I said that, yeah, I hate that time travel is so blasé that they were given a mission to do it off screen. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... and, and so, just yeah, the episode like, just opens oh, with, yep. <laughs> yeah. And then you go to Star Trek Four, and McCoy's going, you know, 
if we don't get the calculations right, we're fried and all that kind of stuff. And you think, why are you getting so stressed? You did it in assignment <laughs> earth as if it were nothing. Just routine, <laughs> just a routine. And yeah. it always bugs me that, like, for example, I know that they, it's it's a gag and whatever else, but when they make the joke in um, Trials and Tribulations about, like, Kirk's a menace, so many violations, I was like, yeah, a lot of them being Starfleet's fault. This sent him. It's not like yeah. he went of his yeah. own accord. Uh, <laughs> you know, then we meet Gary Seven. The, the dude's got his own sonic screwdriver, so obviously... I was just going to say that. That was my note as well. He yeah. has exactly got a sonic screwdriver. <laughs> he's, he's very strong, but, yeah, he's got... Fantastic technology, yet strangely enough, it's very modern in the fact that he doesn't always get on with the technology that he uh, he owns. <laughs> uh, yeah, we know that. The computer feeling. obviously looks very familiar, uh, as in you know the one <laughs> from the ultimate computer, the Daystrom Institute. Uh, so now, uh, my my brain by this point is trying to figure out in you know its own head canon as to why they've got the same kind of computer. It's a lot uh, more sarcastic, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I don't want to get too far ahead with my notes. Uh, the, the last one I've got for this section is Terry Gars, Roberta Lincoln, always awesome. And mm. I love Spock's hat, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I see I don't love Spock's hat. I think it makes him look like he's in an indie band in the mid-90s. That's probably why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he should be singing with Ocean Colour Scene or something. But... <laughs> <laughs> So, Rick, did you have any notes on specifically like the writing or the, the overall kind of ideas of the episode, maybe? Um, so, yeah. Okay. So, if I'm gonna, I'll get my critical hat on and I'm going to say, yeah, there is definite flaws with the writing. And it kind of speaks to the point I already raised is that there are there's there's a lot of an assignment Earth script here. And they've kind of shoehorned Star Trek in to give it this kind of backdoor pilot boost. Uh, the The whole... Oh, uh, yeah, Starfleet told us to go back in time and check this year out because it's, it's, we're just wondering how people got through it. That's, that, I mean, that, that, that is a very low effort way to get Star Trek into the story, isn't it? It's, it's also <laughs> a really weird way to start the episode because you're already starting off on a, like, what? Mm. So, like, I would, certainly wouldn't necessarily have started it with Captain's Log, we're orbiting Earth, it's 1968. What? <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> yeah, you you almost feel like, hang on, did, is this a two part? Have I missed part one? Yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's there's other bits. I you you can start nitpicking as like, well, how does a transporter beam have to stop at the Enterprise? You know, transporters go through solid walls all the time. So, but but ultimately, yeah, if if you just sit back and go with it, um, I. Yeah, once you get into the main story, it is it is good fun. And like I say, I would love to have seen an assignment Earth story. But yeah, as a Star Trek episode, you you feel that you're severely lacking the Star Trek bits. Mm. Um, I mean, it, yeah, can I kind of always think it'd be interesting if assignment Earth as a series had gone ahead. You know, would they have involved other Star Trek races? You know, could they would they have tied I in the wider so. universe? I don't think they need to. They've kind of they've got enough there. I think that they wouldn't necessarily have had to. Although I suppose technically it would, whatever species they came up with is like where Gary and his computer etc. are from would have to be mm. Star Trek canon since they were referenced in yeah. that show. So maybe. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. You kind of wonder how it had gone, and actually, maybe it wouldn't have been nearly as good as I imagined. <laughs> I would imagine it would basically have been like an incredibly insane version of Mission Impossible. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, <laughs> basically, that's what I imagine anyway. But mm. um, yeah, so I, I, I mean, I made similar notes that um, there's parts of the premise that are really interesting to me that I don't hate, um, like the intriguing nature of like why is Gary Seven human but completely has perfect like health and everything. What are these aliens that kidnapped humans and then sent them back? That's a really interesting, very outlandish concept that just seems to mm. be virtually throwaway. Um, you know. Uh, descendants of humans taken from Earth 6,000 years ago is, again, another line that was thrown away that I was like, let's explore that a bit. Mm. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, that's huge. And um, engineering them for this mission. And then just even cool stuff like this. You know, I, I am a sci-fi nerd and a nerd for this kind of thing. So I appreciate, like, the voice control typewriter and stuff, which, yeah, <laughs> fair enough, it's nothing to us. But in 1968, of course, it would have been a, a bizarre, outlandish concept, you know. But uh, anyway, so... Uh, having said that, like all of this idea about the alien transporter room and the descendants of Earth taken away and everything, um, part of the reason that I wanted to review this, apart from being time travel and knowing that Rick was a fan, was to kind of retroactively look at it after having seen Star Trek Picard, spoiler alert, mm -hmm. which feeds into it. And um, the more information this episode gave me, the less it makes sense with that Picard revelation. So again, I'm kind of like, oof, that's, that's not this episode's fault, don't get me wrong, but I think... Part of what made me appreciate it was that I watched the revelations in Picard and was like, oh, that's cool. They've done something with that. But I mean, now, yeah. tied, tied up incorrectly because I only watched the episode once in season two of Picard. But am I right in thinking that these agents are now tied to the travelers? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. These, they basically hinted that the supposedly unseen aliens that want to remain hidden are the travelers, and the travelers are not just random travelers who, around sort of uh, various non-linear and non-corporeal things. They want to protect the timeline and they have engineered these agents to do just that and sent them with advanced technology and stuff. And yet, like I said, it just doesn't make a whole bunch of sense to me. It doesn't quite fit. Um, I appreciate what they were trying to do. And uh, yeah, I, I get it, but I don't, I don't, I still don't know. Like at the time I, I thought it was cool. Cause like every Star Trek fan, I was like, I understand that reference. Captain America style, but again, mm. like so much of Picard, it just doesn't hold up to scrutiny other than, I got that. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but just, you know, we're not reviewing that episode, we're reviewing Assignment Earth, so I will say for that, writing-wise, the actual mission uh, of uh, Gary Seven, I think, is very Roddenberry-esque, if that would make sense. So I know yeah. that it's very reminiscent of, like, the Quester tapes and things that would come, um, but I appreciate that they're saying, you know, Earth science and technology has progressed faster than the political and social knowledge, because I can agree with that and kind of see mm. that again, even, even I, I, you know, now, let alone yeah. in 1968. So yeah, to prevent Earth destroying itself before it can become peaceful, you know, disabling this rocket that I touched on, which would have become an orbital weapon platform, counter moving other countries, and then, you know, as, as Gary Seven says, the same kind of nonsense that destroyed the planet Omicron Four. Uh, which, so you've got there, you know, it's already been the end of one planet and you can see that's the way we're going. And as, you know, Roddenberry being a kind of guy who wanted to see the best and kind of, it's, it's weird to say pacifist, but I always think of him as such, even though, yes, I'm well aware he actually was a soldier and did fight for his country and stuff. But I always think of him as very anti-violence and anti-war. Um, maybe that's just me. I can't really say I knew the man. It's just, that's the message I get from the work. Um Having said that, there is still the appeal to Roberta's patriotism from Gary Seven, which I'm not sure if it's supposed to be sarcastic or um, genuine. 
um, which leaves it a bit muddled. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the absolute balls of the Enterprise saying, yes, we've looked you up, but we can't tell you anything other than you've got lots of exciting adventures ahead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tune in on this channel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And just a, a last couple of uh, writing notes that I've got. I will say there was one thing that made me really chuckle. Uh, I don't know if it's the, the actual writing or perhaps it was Terry Gar's delivery, but when the little green cube just goes beep flash and she goes, same to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's my level of really, again, basic humor that I appreciate. So I did laugh. Um, having said that, it's it would never fly nowadays. And it's incredibly dodgy that Gary Seven just basically traps Roberta in that room. I was like, ooh, that is not cool. And that just comes across very iffy. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, the next thing that I have is just uh, any notes that you guys have on the acting. So we may as well jump into those. And uh, DK, you've kind of touched on it. You mentioned Terry Gar was great. Uh, and I, I would agree with that. Um, I think she, to me, well, um, she starts off a little bit too zany and too goofy, which I didn't love. But I think she settles into it a bit more as the episode progresses. And I feel like that's a direction criticism rather than the acting, because I think... You get the sense that she was told bigger, 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 make it bigger. Yeah. Whoever was directing, um, and I she mean, did the best she could. So, yeah. When you and look at her in, in in other roles, like you know, Young Frankenstein, and later on in Close Encounters, she is a really good actress. Uh, mm. And I think she was kind of typecast as this kind of befuddled, confused person at times. And I think it was incredibly unfair to her as an actress. Having said that, she does do befuddled better than anyone. I was just going to say, it, it won't please you to know that my very first exposure to Terry Gar was as Phoebe's birth mum from Friends. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you, you can see why, looking back at Roberta, you can see the evolution as to why some casting director who probably remembers the time at her thought, I've got the perfect person for that role. Yeah, that th this is the adult kind of Lisa Kudrow's kooky character <laughs> or whatever. And yeah, as you said, she's even better at it, I think, now than at this. And partly, maybe I put that down to direction, but yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I, think, I think both her and Robert Lansing, who, I mean, I'm showing my age here, but I remember him more as Control in The Equalizer. I don't know if either never. of you guys remember that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think they're, I think they're both good. And I think they would have carried a series well. Um, it's a yeah. shame it didn't go to a series. Uh, because of that, the Enterprise crew is superfluous. But yeah. ironically enough... Uhura, Sulu, and Chekhov have just as many lines in this one as a regular <laughs> episode. Yeah, so it's very good. telling. Yeah. Um, I will say, just, just before we move on then, that again, I'm not just wanting to start an argument or anything, but I have to strongly disagree with you on Robert Lansing. I thought he was terrible in the episode. Really? I thought he was exceptionally flat. And you get the sense that, again, he was told underplay it or play it like Spock, play it without any kind of emotion or giving anything away. And to me, it just came off as bored. You see, I like him like that. And he was the same in The Equalizer. He came across very subdued. And I think nice. he plays to that. I mean, I mean, you know, I've not really seen him in much else. So, you know, no offense, Robert, if you're out there, uh, wherever you are, he could be just a terrible actor. But uh, I think he I think he did quite well. I think he, he could have carried the, uh, the series because I, I, I like his attitude in this. I'm going to move on to Rick and ask what you think about um, the, the main two sort of focuses here, Terry Gar and Robert Lansing as Roberta and Gary Seven. Okay, so um, when I was watching it the other night, the one of the things that struck me about Gary Seven is he's constantly got this furrowed brow. He looks furious 
all episode. The whole episode, he just looks furious. But um, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go on the side that I really enjoyed his performance. I thought it came across well uh, because, yeah, he his kind of one um, he's, he's he's sort of very single expression. He doesn't over emote. But to me, that struck me as kind of like he's been trained. He's prof- he's a professional. He's been trained to go in and handle these situations. And if anything, he seems a little bit world weary. It's like, oh, why have I got to go in and clear up this mess? What's happened to these guys who were supposed to do it? Yeah. Uh, oh, and now, now some idiots have time traveled from the future and are just getting in the way. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of think his performance comes off really well as a guy who's clearly sort of a seasoned professional trained by aliens. So... You know, he's got a very different perspective on the universe because of this. So, yeah, it, it, I, I thought it came across really well in the way that the character was, that he's, you know, he's a guy who's just beset by issues. when he, he's, he's got to run around trying to sort out this idiot human race who are going to destroy themselves if he doesn't See, I, I help. I think I would, have, I would have appreciated it more even if it was played like that, though. Even if it was played as, like, downtrodden and, like... I don't know, like, oh, these pesky kids keep messing things up. I would have appreciated, but the fact that it was so one note and so just, like you said, it was just like he he's practically stuck in furrowed brow. Mm. And but I kind of get that. I kind of get I mean, that I, vibe from him anyway. I to me, it doesn't really make sense with all of this. I get that that's probably the juxtaposition to all of this kind of very outlandish, crazy type stuff that would form the rest of the basis. But to me, it seems like it would be, it's like watching Men in Black and having Tommy Lee Jones without Will Smith. Like he needs a Will Smith to be the straight man too. And Roberta can't do that because she doesn't have a clue what's going on. So she's too busy playing the whole like, whoa, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> um, so I kind of like, I, I, I think it's a weird criticism to me because it would have been a criticism of the show, which may well have added characters anyway. But I think it needs somebody who is another, what they call supervisor, who is kind of way more down with it and uh, more cool with the whole idea and more emotional and uh, enjoys the work, I guess, to play off this guy who's just like, ah, oh, screw it. <laughs> you know, um, but that's just my thought anyway. I will say as well, I was reminded of one quick other writing criticism that I didn't make yet, which is um, the Enterprise going back and saying that we've been tasked to see how humanity survived this uh, tumultuous 1968. And it's never really explained why they can't just look it up in the history banks. <laughs> like, mm. From 300 years in the future, guys, just literally look it up. I mean, if, if you're going to do it, then have a line maybe saying there's no history record from this time because of you know reasons i don't know there was a nuclear interference or that they were lost or whatever but not explaining it just makes it look like starfleet are incredibly inept like oh someone stole that volume of our history encyclopedia so you better go back and fill us in you know (laughs) yeah yeah spock knows of like three distinct historical significant events that he lists for that time as you've already mentioned um later on the episode he is able to say exactly what the um trajectory and the height you know the altitude of the missile were when it exploded um and they then as you say they also may say oh yeah we've checked you guys out and you've got lots of adventures so yeah. seems like they've got some records exactly yeah so it just think... again it, it, it leaves it questionable why they were sent there and maybe it was just kirk having a joyride and he claimed it was starfleet yeah. which would then the make episode... it make a lot more sense <laughs> sorry Glenn. i think it would have worked much better 
had this been, say, a kind of a second part to Tomorrow is Yesterday, leave yeah. that open-ended with them stuck in the past and then start this one with Kirk saying, well, we need to figure out how to get back and then have this adventure commence. Or just have them just forcibly say, pulled there. Just say that yeah. for whatever reason, I mean, it's a sci-fi show, say for whatever reason the transporter beam that you intercepted pulled you back in time or something else did, you know, that we were... We were too close to an exploding supernova and we've been thrown back to 1968. We don't know why. It's a coincidence. And then intercept the transporter beam and go, oh, massive coincidences, but it gets the plot going and it's better than just, we've been sent back here. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I, the other thing was that, again, slight spoilers if you haven't seen the episode, but it's revealed at the end that it's basically a big predestination paradox and the Enterprise would always have been there and would always have helped them. So again, how come the supervisors and everything just have no clue about any of this? Like... <laughs> Yeah. They're not very. They don't seem very good at their job. Basically, like they weren't prepared at all for a ship or whatever that was always intended to be there. It just seems very. What are the limits to these guys' powers? Are they all seeing and all knowing, or do they know absolutely nothing and just hope for the best? And uh, again, maybe I the do, show would have developed that, but who knows? I do like the fact that as advanced as they are, one of them still has trouble unlocking his phone, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've all been there as well. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? So, yeah, we didn't really get anything, I think, uh, about your um, opinions of the, the other actors in the whole thing then, um, uh, DK. Uh, the serviceable, but as I say, they're superfluous. Uh, Kirk and Spock, they're there because they're supposed to be there. Scotty spends most of the episode watching TV. Uh, Uhura, Chekhov and, and Sulu, they have as much to do as a regular episode. They, they, you, you get the pratfall comedy police officers. Oh, it's, it's. Can I just say that was my least favorite part of the episode because what was the purpose of having the police officers beamed up, seeing everything, then beamed straight back down? It's the lowest kind it, of, oh, I'm, it, I better yeah, quit drinking kind of comedy. It's, I hate it. it <laughs> you know, and when you look back, these, these poor guys are going to be in therapy for the rest of their life. They're going to be <laughs> laughed out of the force. But look what and happened to that guy in Picard. When he yeah. was like beamed up by the Vulcans, you've basically mm. just created two of that guy. <laughs> it's yeah, it, the, no one else really needs to be there, and they're only there to justify the backdoor pilot. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to leave it at that. They are entertaining sometimes, but you know, they're more furniture, they're more props than anything else. Um, fair enough. I'm going to give you my thoughts so that we can end on a high when we go to Rick about the acting. Um, but I will say that, yeah, I've already said my opinion on Lansing. Uh, not so great. Terry Gar, I like a lot, but I think she was directed badly. Um, there's a lot of convenient stuff. This isn't really the acting, it's the writing, but there's like Roberta conveniently accidentally beaming at perfect times and almost causing World War Three. It's just a little bit too, like, again, if this had went to series, I really hope they hadn't, they wouldn't just make her the stupid oopsie character because. Yeah, that's not fair to the actress or anyone watching. Um, I like I'm the fact that she would have learned as it went on. Yeah, well, I do like the fact that they make a point of saying that even though she's a bit erratic, she has got a high IQ. So I was like, okay, they would and potentially could have developed that. She yeah. did get all of the best kind of gags um, that are either directly from her or about her because I like it when uh, he's looking her up on the database and they mention like she has a larger star shaped mole on and she's like, no, no that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, whoever. Whoever it is that put her in these outfits, her wardrobe hurts my eyes. I know that it's the 60s, but come on, man. <laughs> that was, there was no need for that. And uh, yeah, 
Um, what was I going to say? I, I may as well get this out of the way now since we're talking about Terry Gar, but I wanted to mention this in case anybody was unaware um, that the actress has had a very unpleasant time filming Star Trek. Uh, just it's it's kind of uh, well documented that she doesn't talk about it. She refuses to talk about it. And all that was known is that she kind of faced a lot of harassment. Um, so I feel like she probably wasn't having the best time in the episode, which means you have to commend the performance all the more. Um, not that I'm out here judging or anything. We don't know anything about what happened and I'm not condemning or saying anything other than it's a shame and I would have liked to know her thoughts on this and the cancelled spin-off, but we may never know. Um, and just to finish the acting thoughts, uh, the last note that I have is more or less exactly the same as DK. The Trek regulars do the Trek regulars thing and they're just going through the motions, I think. Um, I will yeah, give so one shout out though. Kudos to James Doohan for doubling up as Capcom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I recognised him straight away. Maybe it's because I've watched that many of the animated series now, but I was like, yep, that's doing, doing that yeah. voice. <laughs> it is. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on any and all of the acting in the episode? Okay, so, yeah, Terry Gar, I thought, was fantastic. Um, she has fan- awesome comedy chops, particularly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, again, when you when you when they say about Lansing playing Gary Seven is quite dour and straight, but I think I think the way that the two bounce off each other now would have been fantastic in in the mm. ongoing series over time yeah. would have been would have yeah, been an awesome combination yeah so yeah i mean the, we're, we're all sort of pretty much raving about uh, terry guy here and i'm going to absolutely join in she was really really good um and well i mean i say going on the series as you say she had a bad experience and she may not have returned had it mm. gone to a full series who knows but um yeah yeah um the, the the regular cast are, are they're barely in it enough to really comment too much. So, yeah, exactly. um, but yeah, so I kind of my focus is very much on the uh, on the assignment Earth guys, and, and yeah, really enjoyed the pairing. I also thought the cat was fantastic, hit all its marks, did really nice job. <laughs> that was that's weirdly that leads me perfectly onto one of the the, the first things on my next notes because I was talking I made a couple of notes about the direction and the first thing that I noticed in the episode is it's a very weird choice when Gary Seven beams in that the director focuses on the cat. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I get that it has a big secret that'll be revealed at the end, but the first time around when you're watching it or when you watch it back now and it's like um, we're back in time. We've intercepted a transporter beam. Credits assignment Earth. He has a cat. <laughs> what <laughs> what's what what is this <laughs> but anyway you were saying sorry rick um uh, well you've just you've just triggered a, a new a fan theory in my head now um gary seven is in fact just a puppet and the cat's controlling everything isis is really in charge <laughs> no no i think rick's onto something here because when you look at talent in picard she's on her own when mm. terry gar mm. when roberta looks at the cat and sees the woman there it planted the image in my head is are they sending someone to watch Gary? Do they not trust him? Mm. Mm. See, I just, I, I found it too weird. I <laughs> hate that moment because it doesn't do anything. And I feel bad for the poor model, I guess, because I don't even know if she is an actress who her entire contribution is just sit there and look sexy for 2.6 seconds. Like, oh, great. <laughs> I think it's cut. another thing that would have been developed had it gone forward, yeah. obviously. But uh, Yeah, I took it, it as an obvious thing, the lead into something they were going to follow up if they had gone to a regular series. It's just too weird for me. It's one of those things that the original series did. And that's why I kind of, I, I don't look on it as like it would have been developed because they did it all the time. Like Cat Sports brings to mind and stuff where it was, 
They seemed to think that it was fantastic to be like, look at this all-powerful thing. Oh, it's an animal. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I get it. It's weird. It's zany. Go for it. <laughs> By that point, I think I was just so tired. <laughs> but definitely. Um, I will say I appreciated all the kind of spy crafty stuff. Like I said, I got the Mission Impossible with Aliens vibe that would have potentially mm -hmm. been the um I'll give you a couple of my notes because I may as well. Uh, I like the cliffhanger moment as the rocket launches and Kirk kind of says how helpless he is. That was actually, I think, really well directed and played. Um, this, <laughs> Having said that, the director is really fond of his dramatic push-ins with musical crescendo. Like, oh, that God. is, that must have been every six yeah. minutes. It was, <laughs> dun, 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 push in. And I'm like, yeah, we get it. We get it. Let's have another trick, dude. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the... Uh, the kind of whole dropping, putting the guards to sleep with nerve pinches and the cat attacking and stuff, that's where it got too ridiculous for me. I was like, yeah, no, I know it's the 60s, but you've you've gone too far here. <laughs> this is too far out for me. And uh, yeah, just um, since I only have a couple of notes, I'll, I'll give you my music and sound notes. Uh, the first one being that the music is incessant, as I already hinted, so that it feels like it's always going, focus on this, this is tense. This is kooky, uh, and, and I don't need music to do that for me, especially when you have yeah. cats turning into women. You know, it's there in front of you. And, uh, I will say the other thing is the cat noises are incredibly annoying. Whoever did the foley and decided to add in little cat meowing noises every two minutes, it wasn't necessary, and it really grated on me after a while. But uh, anyway, so any thoughts then, Rick? We will go to you on direction and on like the music and the various sound of the episode. Uh, so I mean, that's, I do see what you're saying. They, I, about it being quite full on and putting a lot of the dramatics up. but then it's supposed to serve as a pilot so for a for a new series so yeah they're gonna pop it put in all their things they've got to say this, this they want to make everyone think this series is going to be so dramatic and full on and crazy and awesome um um so yeah i mean it's yeah i i, I it doesn't bother me it it doesn't jump out as my favorite thing of the episode but um yeah, as a general thing, I quite just the episode clips along at a reasonable pace for me, and I think it's uh, it's just, yeah, I'm quite as I say. I mean, obviously, I'm clearly the big fan of the episode. Yeah. Um, well, the music doesn't jump out per se; it's um, it doesn't bother me. TK, uh, what about you? Any thoughts on uh, directing and sound? I've got nothing really on 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 sound. Uh, you've you've brought attention to the music. That same refrain just used so mm. many times it was practically running to the ground. Uh, the the time travel aspect, which obviously they went to great pains, successful or not, in tomorrow is yesterday to avoid leaving traces of the timeline. Here, just that just seems to have been thrown out of the window for comedy effect. Uh, it's a lot of it. Obviously, seemed to be filmed on the Paramount lot. The rest of it seems of to have course, come yeah. from the, the Roger Corman school of stock footage. It's, <laughs> it's it's obviously, you know, it was done on the cheap. It, it does very much what Trek and Twilight Zone did at the time. I mean, it uses present-day stuff to great effect to tell a story, but you can have too much, you know, space porn. You can have too much <laughs> stock footage. And I think Speak it's for yourself. In, in, <laughs> uh, in some respects. Mm. I, I can't say I minded the whole stock footage thing because at least it gave it that historical context that I think you needed. And it was more, it, it gave it some scale instead of what was blatantly, as you said, like we've just created a styrofoam Gary Seven office. <laughs> we'll build more sets if we get taken to series kind of thing. So yeah, I appreciated that personally. Um, 
Yeah. What about you? Did you think the use of stock footage, Rick, was over overly done? Um, I mean, it's 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 one of those that the, the, sometimes the stock footage is a bit jarring because it clearly, you know, the it, you can see differences. It sticks out a little bit. Um, but again, yeah, I know. I think we needed to get that sense of this was a big operation. You know, we this was a big event. So getting to sort of see the missile and things like that was it's kind of important. So. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, Star Trek as a series was, it, you know, very infamous for making use of available materials to try and create something. Uh, so, yeah, better they use the footage and give you that sense, even if it sticks out a little bit, rather yeah. than not. You know, I think they made it necessary as well because of my other criticism, which is from the very first time I watched this episode, I I very struck by the fact that when it's the pivotal moment of Gary Seven interfering with the right kind of wires or whatever. It's so painfully apparent that he's just lying on a lot somewhere on a random board with a <laughs> matte painting behind yeah. him. And it's just like, oh. So I think the stock footage at least was like, all right, there's some aid to my suspension of disbelief here other than poor, poor Lansing being told, just sit there and look like you're doing something cool with this rocket to do it. And, uh, yeah, I felt for him on that one. Um, well, yeah. no wonder he looked cross all episode. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, um, well, that was all I had for notes before we get into favourite character moment or line. But did either one of you have anything else you wanted to touch on before we uh, we go into that? No, I've got nothing. No, Rick, any other thoughts? Um, so, well, I mean, just generally, like, um, one of the things I always say about Star Trek is I like it because it's not just showing this utopian society that Roddenberry's vision is sort of we're all great and we've solved all the problems and are perfect. My favourite type of Star Trek is when we have to show, we have to keep that going. We have to fight and struggle to preserve that because it's not easy. To, it's, it's, it's not a case of just getting there and everything's easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this Assignment Earth is that series where we would have had people on Earth at one of the worst times in history trying to keep us on course for that utopia. So I think from that, it absolutely would have appealed to me as a Star Trek thing. And I love the idea and the, the premise and the notion of it. Um, and coupled with the, the, the two leads, I think would have bounced off each other very well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of one of the things that really stick out me, uh, why I love this episode. Uh, I absolutely acknowledge the flaws. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, basically, all the Star Trek bits are very rushed and shoehorned in. So... You've just brought something else to my attention as well, Surrey, mm-hmm. which is that this is one of like, you know, however many thousand odd examples of what are the conservative Trek fans watching? Because you suspect that like, what, what would people that are overly right wing have made of this when the entire episode is basically don't have nuclear weapons, don't be constantly warring with each other. You're about mm-hmm. to destroy yourself because of your dumb politicians and everything. Um, and so, yeah, it just seems awfully... As, as Roddenberry tended to be, it seems awfully ultra-liberal, and uh, it would be intriguing to see how a conservative would defend this. As I like, think no, no, it's, it's on the lines where they're saying, you know, I'm doing this for my country, I'm a yeah, patriot, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and everything else just washes over them. I just... Yeah. it's uh, It would be interesting to see, especially, like I said, I don't know the reasons behind why it didn't get picked up for series other than the fact that it would be terrible, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but I wonder if there's a degree of, like, oh, no, we can't be so anti-establishment in the entire premise of a series, you know? Um, but that's just speculation, so that's just me. Uh, so anyway, I'll move us on then, because we've been on a little while here, to the favourite character moment and line. 
Uh, I'm going to give Rick time to think about it because we didn't really warn him in advance, even <laughs> though you probably know already these things. But uh, we'll start with you, DK, then I'll give mine and then we'll go to Rick last. So DK, who was your favourite character, first of all, in the episode? It's got to be Roberta. Okay, and why? <laughs> she's just awesome. I mean, yeah, she's she, she's there for comic relief most of the time. But there is a kind of character arc there, however however much it's fumbled. She starts off, you know, this kooky thing, and by the end of it, she's coming to grips with it all. And I honestly would I honestly would have looked forward to a series with these two. Fair enough. Um I, I also said Roberta. Um I would prefer it if she was more toned down, but like I said, I assume that's a director's choice. Uh, uh at least I think she's relatable. Um, and I'm assuming she would have been intended as the audience surrogate in the unmade Gary Seven Assignment Earth show, which I think she would have been very good at. Um, as long as, like I said, they didn't overly write her as the whole, what? This is so crazy. And they had leaned into what we are all kind of, I think, hoping and expecting, which was as she got more to grips with all of this stuff, she'd have become more and more competent and hopefully have eventually developed as more of a equal Will Smith sidekick to him. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think Roberta was great and Terry Gar was great. But um, So are you going to make it three out of three, Rick? Who was your favourite character? <laughs> So I like I like to assume that despite being you know well known for never talking about Star Trek teacher experience, Terry Gar still secretly listens to any podcast she finds when we talk about this episode. <laughs> so te Terry, you'll be delighted to know you've made you've got the hat trick. Yet yeah, Roberta Ooh. is my favourite character here. Awesome. I just awesome. I, I I do I just really enjoy her, and I think the way she comes across and bounces off um, Lansing as Gary Seven would have made for an incredible duo across the series um and yes they they very much play up the kooky and the the comedy but when you look at a lot of the spin-off media that has touched on gary seven um dk you mentioned the comic series earlier uh, yeah. there's also been novels um across it and particularly the the um the khan novels have a huge involvement but i was going to ask you about those actually because just in yeah. case the audience isn't aware so you may as well get into it now if you wanted to just use it as a quick chance to sell people on them or tell them what like um the broad strokes of how they feed into sort of the the novels and the comics and things that uh, were developed as a result of this yeah well i mean the khan ones are particularly i think great read because they portray the eugenics wars against the backdrop of real history and you kind of see how these these incidents all strung together would become a certain war and they then play right. Khan's thing but also Khan as a young man is taken under Gary Seven's wing and goes on missions with him uh which is kind of a in very interesting premise yeah. as it goes through um but yeah across a lot of these things um they show Roberta's growing and becoming you know the IQ med thing is mentioned and oh, awesome. she basically becomes an, an agent herself nice. uh so I, can't, I think the idea, and it, quite possibly in the 60s, they wouldn't have dared develop a woman character to that extent. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's a testament, I think, to her performance that Definitely. people come away inspired by her so much that when they develop these spin-off ideas, they do the character such a good service in sort of saying that, she, you know, showing what she is capable of and how she can become so much uh, based just on this one performance that Terry Gar put in. Yeah, I think I was just going to say, I think it would be a disservice to how good an actor that we've seen since that Terry Gar is and can be to have not developed her if this had went into a series. 
Um, so yeah. I would like to hope that they didn't. But I have to ask one question without giving away any any huge spoilers. Do they ever explain the flipping cat in any of these things, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> um yes yeah they oh, they good. they do develop the cat in some of it and i think in, in you meet other cats at some points in some of the stories as well okay um, again we'll, we'll we'll come to you first tk because why not we've got an order here so what was your favorite moment in the episode i uh as 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 much as it's cliched i do like the uh the section at the end where gary's saying you know let me do it and kirk's trying to get spock to blow up the the missile it's mm. You know, you know what's coming. You know what's going to happen. But I still, I, I, even now while watching it, I, I still think there's a little tension there, and I like that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I think I more or less said the same. I, I made the note that I was really struggling for anything that I particularly enjoyed. I'm sorry to fans of the episode. I, I tried, um, but I will say I thought, contrary to DK, that the rocket footage was cool. And yes, the tense kind of last minute warhead destruction was quite well done. Um, so that's all I could really say about that for moments. Uh, what about you, Rick? What was your favourite moment? So my favourite moment is also my favourite line. And okay. it's the point where Roberta says to Gary Seven about how, how why her generation is always acting the way they are because they're not sure if they've got a future. That's why some uh, of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels. You and know? Rebel. We wonder if we're going to be alive when we're 30. Yeah, you exactly, stole my favourite yeah. line. <laughs> Terry <laughs> Gar, you've got another hat trick. Well done. <laughs> um, Sorry, but, but it, 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 that 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 line absolutely speaks to what I was saying about the how the series, why the series would have appealed to me. I think, and what it's striving for, and you know, trying to build a future uh, despite the human race at that point. Um, and it's also sort of positions Roberta's character as what she is. She is that voice of, of youth. In, in there that would have been quite an interesting one, especially in the contrast to sort of a commodionally old man such as yeah, Gary yeah. Seven is, because you know, I, th I think based on the what they say, he's probably extremely old, so <laughs> despite yeah. his physical appearance. So, yeah. so yeah, for me, that, that moment absolutely summed up all the appeal of Assignment Earth and that line absolutely I, hits I it for me. I completely understand that. I get it. Absolutely. Would, would you say the same? So obviously we've all revealed that is our favourite line. So what about you, DK? <laughs> would you agree that's the reason why? 100%. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the next thing would be the conclusions and scores. Um, because we know kind of where we all sit, I think I'm going to start, not to barge in front, but I think we may as well work our way up the gradual kind of, <laughs> um, you know, presumed final scores. Um, so I'll give you what I've got. And again, apologies, I can't really do this off the cuff. So it's kind of what I've written down. So it sounds like I'm reading, but uh, just because I am. Uh, so I just said, perhaps it's stating the obvious given its origin, but this is not a Star Trek story and doesn't feel like one to me. Uh, if people have issue with, for example, the Enterprise cast being guest stars in their own show during these other voyages, I think this is at least equally egregious, especially considering it ended the second season of uh, TOS. Uh, maybe it's a sign of the times, but the level of silliness that's often displayed to me is reminiscent of a less subtle Adam West Batman. Um, it's a worthy enough plot with a clear and commendable social conscience, but I just found that it veered between boring and ludicrous. I admire the attempts by comics, novels, and even Star Trek Picard to retroactively make something of this weird failed mess. I enjoy parts of those, but ultimately I just don't care about these characters or their mission. I didn't find it especially compelling and I just want to get it over with and get on with the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So it was a waste of an hour of Star Trek, in my opinion. 
uh, and I gave it one star out of uh, one, sorry, Starfleet Delta Insignia out of five. Um, apologies again to fans of the episode. I have to be honest. So, DK, if you're still speaking to me, and we'll see if Rick is later. DK, what did you have for your conclusion and score? Okay, let's go middle of the road. Uh, again, it's it's a written conclusion, so if it uh, sounds like I'm reading, it's because I am. Assignment Earth isn't a Star Trek episode. It's the Assignment Earth pilot with cameos by some of the Star Trek cast. Some incredible leaps of logic are required in order for this to work. Time travel's treated like a trip to the corner shop. And all pretense at protecting the timeline has gone out of the window. It's Star Trek, but with the majority of the show removed. Still, this is looking at things from a far too serious canon perspective. And once these goggles have been removed, despite it being a crossover episode with no other side to the crossover, it's still a fun, if lightweight, episode. On previous viewings... Oh, just bear with me. My screen decided to scroll up for some reason. On previous <laughs> viewings, I've definitely been middle of the road concerning this. It's one I've neither had any great fondness or dislike for. When you hold it up to other episodes of Trek, it doesn't come close either to the seriousness of the subject matter it deals with or to Star Trek in general. But this time, I found I had a genuine enthusiasm for it. It's helped by the two leads, Robert Lansing and Terry Gar being immensely likeable and good in their roles, and it's always a shame knowing this little foray into a sideways universe was never seized on by the studio, the plot may be a bit of a meandering mess, with so much stock footage it will give Edward a priapism, but strangely enough, it all comes together to the point where not only is it a decent enough backdoor pilot, but a masterclass in cost-cutting. Cast aside, I imagine the whole thing was produced for about 28 pence. <laughs> It'll never be the pinnacle of the original series, but it certainly isn't the Nadia. It's, uh, it's an oddity, but I like oddities. I like Doctor Who's love and monsters. And in the end, that's how I view Assignment Earth. It's Star Trek. It's just Star Trek light. And failed pilot notwithstanding, it's a passable hour of television. And I've given it 3.5 out of 5. Wow. Okay. That's quite a lot higher than I thought you might have went. Yeah, but, uh, it's quite a lot higher than I did. How is that middle? Middle would be two. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, uh, we'll head to you for your conclusion and score if you're able, thanks. Uh, yeah, so... It's absolutely a very bizarre thing for Star Trek to do a completely different show. Uh, there are obvious, as well, the best, the most politest way to term it, but there is, yeah, not being polite. There, it was some very poorly handled effect, attempts to get uh, this in, shoehorned into a Star Trek script, and I absolutely agree that kind of in many ways the crew of the Enterprise suffer. For, for that. Um, however, from what we see of the leads and the assignment of the premise in general, sounds like a fantastic show that would have been had a lot of potential and to me kind of does hit the notes to sort of really complement Star Trek's ideas uh, and come across and, you know, could have tackled things in a very Star Trek way, I think. Uh, of course, we'll never know because it never came to series and so it's going to be like this this thing for me, it'll be this wonderful series that never was. Um, and probably it's best that way because it could have been terrible. We don't know. Uh, but <laughs> as an episode to watch, I find it quite, I find it very enjoyable. Um, I think if you had taken, if you had done this without having such strong leads from uh, with Terry Gar and um, Gary Lansing, Robert Lansing, Robert Lansing yeah, <laughs> Gary Seven, uh, mixing the characters and actors up then it 
could well have fallen flat. But as it is, yeah, it's well, yeah, it's not my peak Star Trek episode, but I do I always find it an episode that's just very very enjoyable. So I would give it a four deltas out of five. Wow. Okay. Uh, fair enough. So that makes the overall average then for the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast for Assignment Earth two point eight three 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 recurring. Um, we may as well say two point eight. So effectively as close to three out of five, I think, as you can get. But yeah, it is. I think because of my low score, it is kind of coming out more on the middle side. Yeah. Um, I kind of appreciate, and I'm shocked that Rick didn't go with a five. I thought you were you would have went there because I know you do love this, but uh, I, I yeah. do. But as, as 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 I think we sort of said, it as a Star Trek episode, it's maybe not the best as as an entertaining hour of television. I think it definitely is. Um, I know you disagree yeah, yeah. there, Mike, but um, it's, yeah, so I, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? It's it's it depends on the individual. I can't say you're wrong to be entertained, but likewise, I would assume nobody would tell me. You're wrong to have been bored by it. It's just one of no, those things. No, it's, it's it's like anything. There's eight hundred hours of Star Trek, and they all t- they can all take quite radically different forms depending on what story and characters are doing. So you know, some stuff you're going to love, some you're not. And yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely aided the discussion that we all at least came at it from different places as well. And hopefully, it's given mm. the audience if they aren't familiar. Um, a bit more of a wider range of, of what to expect and a, a range of opinions. But uh, so, yeah, like I said, that's basically going to conclude this episode uh, because we don't really have any audience responses or anything. But before we finish and finally sign off, uh, Rick, since you're here and I know you're such a fan of all of it, which one spin off material of the Assignment Earth that they developed would you recommend that we all go to watch? Uh, would you say one of the comics, one of the books, or would you say the uh, second season of Picard? Um, I would say that um, pro- the the Khan Noonien Singh books, the rise and fall of uh, Khan Noonien Singh, is it is a is a really really good series to read. So um, yeah, and I didn't expect Gary Seven to be part of it, and I really enjoyed how it was. So I would put that one as one of the top ones. I think. Nice. Uh, I was going to say, I, I think yeah. I will just look that up anyway to read it, just to to give it its fair due. So. At least yeah. in that, yeah, that regard. And uh, yeah, awesome. Um, I really enjoyed this. I think it's been a great episode despite our d- disagreements um, here and there. But uh, Rick is always a good value guest. So once again, thanks again <laughs> Thank for joining us. Trekker Mind Champion Rick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully we can meet again and talk Trek anytime as uh, we know we are welcome. Uh, you're welcome here to do so. Um, did you have any sort to. of last? Uh, yeah, so any last sort of things you want to say, or any uh, you want a chance to plug the Ten Backward podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, as always, if if you liked my talking, um, I do more of that on Ten Backwards. If you find this on Twitter at Ten Backward, that's one zero backward, um, or at lowerdexradio.co.uk. Um, and yep, we talk quite a lot about Star Trek in a fairly irreverent uh, fashion. Awesome, awesome. I'll put links to all that in the description. And are you okay if I include your Twitter uh, link as well? Oh, yes. Yeah, by all means. Yep. Yeah. And that is um, Trek Fan Rick, I believe, at Trek Fan Rick. Yes. <laughs> and you've, uh, yeah. you've gone back to Sacred Chalice of Rick as opposed to sheer Rick and Hubris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice, yeah. nice. Well, yeah, thanks again for joining me. Thanks, as always, to my co-host, DK. DK, any last words? Pleasure. No, it's just, I'm just saying it's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome, really enjoyed awesome. this episode. Yeah. 
I have to. It's been great. We probably could have talked for way longer, but it's best we don't keep anyone any longer. So, uh, yeah, I've been Mike. As you will hear, we don't have to quite go into all of our socials and everything now because we have a new outro that will do that for us. So if you want any of that information, please do stay and listen to that because it gives everything there. As always, it's always in the descriptions anyway. But, uh, yeah, there will be um, – when this airs, our next episode that will be due will be DK Solo. Uh, I won't be on that episode, but our good friend Will Templar will be joining DK, uh, and they're going to be looking at the Enterprise episode, Future Tense. So, yeah, carrying on the time travel theme. But, uh, yeah, so take care, everybody. Um, I'm aware that I've been talking way too much, so DK, would you like to give us the send-off for a change this time? <laughs> okay. Uh, just remember, everyone, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Twitter at HomeTrack, on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast, or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.